right, hello everyone, and welcome back to the Ethos Celtics podcast. It is me, your host, Lucas Gaynor. Today I'm here joined by my co-host, Patrick Lounsbury. Patrick, how you doing? I'm good, man. I'm good, man. Long time no see. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen you since the holidays. We took a little break there for the holiday weekend and all that, man. How was your uh, Thanksgiving? I can't complain. You know, I had a vegetarian Thanksgiving. All the food was wonderful. Definitely splurged a little bit on the pie, but you know... All in all, it was good. How about you? Yeah, man. Pumpkin pie, my favorite. So you already knew I had a couple of those down, but uh, I, I enjoyed it. It was a good little holiday, good little break from the world, yes, you know, as always. Uh, but felt nice to kind of just relax. Yeah, we are here back after uh, three games the Celtics have played against the Brooklyn Nets, which was a loss, the San Antonio Spurs, which was also a loss, and then most recently uh, the win against the Toronto Raptors. Um, that now puts the Celtics at 11th place at 11 and 10 this year after 21 games. Um, you know, that might seem bad, but excuse me, we are only, um, only two games out of third place. If you can believe that. So, you know, it's a very tight field, uh, you know, really from the second seed all the way down to the 11th seed. So, you know, even though we're not pretty low in the standings right now, you know, there's not much that separates. Absolutely. And, uh, just to give it kind of perspective, the Celtics haven't been playing great, but they definitely have been able to stay within striking distance. The rest of the season is going to be a real tough stretch for them, though, as they did have the 23rd easiest schedule to this point, or hardest schedule, I mean. So, I mean, was that like seventh easiest, eighth easiest schedule in the league? And the rest of the way out, they have the fifth hardest schedule in the league. So, I mean, this is going to be a tough stretch, especially this month of December. Uh, December is just fully loaded of, of contending type teams, divisional teams, and I'm going to really test this, this group of Celtics. But the good thing is that reports are saying that Celtics are expecting majority of everybody to be back for tomorrow's game. The only person who is game time decision is Jalen Brown, who has been going through that hamstring issue. He's always just kind of done a workout before the game and they either AOK him, which he has every time to this point, or, you know, they'll, they'll tell him like, all right, he needs to sit this one out. It'll definitely be good to get everybody back. You know, we've been missing Rob with that non, obviously the knee tendinopathy and then the non COVID illness. Um, obviously, you know, we're seeing how much he, you know, means to our team. Um, and also in those two losses that we had, um, we also, I believe we missed J- Josh Richardson in both of them with that non COVID illness. Um, so obviously, you know, he's a rotation piece, a wing defender, a great body. We can throw people and uh, he was really beneficial in our game against the Raptors. Once we got him. Yeah. Um, and then uh, Ennis Freedom now is referred to him. And Ennis Freedom was really good in that Raptors game. And I think he may have turned him into the best defender that I've seen him in his whole career. Like, he's just been playing phenomenal, stepped up great in the time that Robert Williams hasn't been able to play and, and Horford always being limited on those minutes. I thought Ennis Freedom has definitely been really solid for the Celtics. And he's and he's given a little punch on offense, man. He's just overall just doing a little a lot of little things correctly. And that's all we really need is like those depth pieces to just come in and, and be a guy when you know you have other people who are out. It's just been nice to have a rotation at the bigs that is about three men deep now and having that access to Ennis Freedom. Yeah, you know, we'll skip right over the freedom thing, um, if you don't mind. But, uh, you know, I've made my feelings very clear about how I feel about Ennis Cantor when it comes to his on-court play. But, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, 
Ime has him playing better defense than I've, you know, like you said, maybe ever seen him play before. Um, you know, we know he can bring that little bit of, you know, post offense, offensive rebounding value on the other side of the ball. Um, but, you know, there were a couple times in the Raptors game where he, you know, forced a couple turnovers. I was blown away. I couldn't believe it was Ennis Cantor, now known as Ennis Freedom, uh, making those plays. Um, and like you said, you know, as much as, you know, I've been a critic of him and as much as I don't like him, it's good to keep Rob's minutes down. It's good to keep Al's minutes down. Um, so if Cantor can come in there, even when they're both healthy, and give us a, just a few minutes and be as effective, you know, or at least not disaster on defense like he has been the last few games, um, you know, I think that's definitely a good thing for the team going forward. And then, you know, obviously shorten the rotation. Come must-win games at the end of the regular season and in the playoffs. Yeah, and this team has really uh, been trying to fight to stay healthy and all together on the court right now. They're still trying to find a rhythm. Um, I think Marcus Smart has really turned around and been able to play at a higher level. He's just able to dish the ball out really well at this point. He's getting effective. He's stepped up. Ever since he spoke out, man, he's really been trending in the right direction. And I think Marcus Smart is – Something that we didn't take into consideration enough going into the season, but like Marcus Smart spent most of his career not being the main ball handling point guard for one. And two, his whole career was under Brad Stevens. So like he's learning a new offense. Like he has the un- he has the most knowledge of Brad Stevens' system than anybody else. And he has to take that now and just go into a whole new system. It, I tell people, man, it's easier to teach somebody who hasn't been taught something yet than it is to teach somebody who has already a habit that they build or something that they already know, like unteaching them in a sense, you know? And I think Marcus Smart is now getting into a comfortable role. He's starting to get the system down. I think he's running the offense really well. It's been a pleasure to see Marcus Smart step up and all the Marcus Smart haters like kind of be quiet now. Yes. I'm sure those Marcus Smart haters are furious. Um, yeah, you know, he didn't start the season running the point guard position, you know, that amazingly, but I will say, like, you know, he's really stepped it up. Um, and he's not just making, you know, fancy, flashy passes. He's making the right and the, the correct and difficult reads. Um, you know, and he's making great passes, keeping the ball moving. Um, honestly, I think the ball was, uh, has been flying around a little more in the offense. Um, you know, the past few games, it just feels like, you know, now that the ball is moving really well, the offense looks a little better. All of a sudden we start missing, we start missing shots. So, um, overall, I think the offense has looked better. I don't know if you agree or. No, I, I a hundred percent agree. I think the offense has looked amazing. It's our, we're just not making shots. That's, that's all it comes down to is like, uh, I think that, uh, the Celtics could be in discussion. Like we talked about earlier is like, uh, when that trade deadline starts coming up, man, I think you're be looking for guys who can really shoot and play defense. Like three D guys are are going to be even some cheap older guys that can do it or something, man. Because they just need a little extra boost there. They need guys who can really hit the shots. But also going into the Celtics shooting, uh, I wanted to get off the the take of like I think Grant Williams should start um, the in this in this unit. Like I think he should be a part of the starting unit. I understand that Robert Williams and Horford are, are nice next to each other, but like I think Grant adds that shooting ability and having Robert Williams and Dennis Schroeder and Josh Richardson in the bench unit is something that I feel will be more beneficial 
for the Celtics moving forward when they're fully healthy. And I, I'm full team Grant Williams um, starting, man. He's the only player in the NBA right now shooting a 50, 40, 90 split, which is insane. Uh, me and Lucas just saw that stat uh, not too long ago on Twitter. But, man, like Grant Williams is having himself a year. I remember a few games in, Patrick, I asked you, I was like, would it be crazy to say that Grant has been our most consistent player? And you said, no, not at all. And it was, you know, shocking to maybe think, but, you know, that's how it played out when we were watching. And it's definitely bared out in the statistics. I mean, StatMuse tweeted that stat out the other day. And when, you know, you know, if you know how StatMuse tweets their stuff, they tweet out, you know, a little illustration of the player and then, you know, whatever stat they have. So this time they tweet, Grant Williams is the only member of the 50-40-90 club. And I was like, wow, this picture of uh, Grant Williams looks a lot like Stephen Curry. You know, that was kind of the joke they were making went a little bit right over my head. I thought it was just a bad illustration. But, yeah, Grant has been amazing this year. Um, you know, I'm actually with you, Patrick. I think that if Grant starts next to Rob at the 4-5, you know, as much as I love Tatum at the 4, I think that'll, you know, like you said, allow the bench unit to be awesome because I don't know if you'll be able to find a better bench unit scoring-wise than uh, Schroeder and Horder it. Schroeder and Horford, at least a, a bench scoring pair like that, because we know their chemistry goes back to Atlanta. You know, those guys could start on a lot of teams in the NBA. So if we're bringing them off the bench, I think that could be a really massive boost uh, to help us out. And, you know, when the offense is uh, fading. I mean, even if Horford started the game, I'm not upset about it. Like Horford or Robert Williams could start uh, at the end of the day. Like it's, we, we preached, it's not about who starts the game. It's more about who finishes it. But I think that having Grant Williams in the starting lineups just adds a bit more spacing and like taking advantage of those open looks that they're generating. And I just think that's a guy that we should be having in that starting unit to get the ball rolling. So the team at least feels like they're making shots, feels like they're in a roll. But Grant Williams, not only has he been good on the offensive side of the ball, and I will say that the 40% from three is impressive, but I think the 90% from the free throw line is even more impressive coming from him. Just being automatic at the line, showing that he really worked on his game the offseason, but also uh, his defense has been crazy. Like he has gone up and blocked guys at the rim trying to dunk, I think like three or four times this year, like just some gnarly blocks where he just gets up there and just swats it. And it's just like a wow moment. You're like, wow, that was Grant Williams. Like I'm always thinking like I just get shocked every time I see it's him that's going up there and blocking a shot. Yeah, you know, Grant is definitely, you know, a smart, smart defender. Uh, he always had the potential, you know, to be an impactful defender. Um, you know, I think last year what we saw was, you know, his lateral quickness really bury him when he was trying to switch onto smaller guards. And he's also been doing a better job of that as well as protecting the rim, like you're saying. So, I mean, Grant deserves his flowers. He deserves a standing O. I mean, he's been phenomenal this year. And, uh, you know, shout out our guy, Adam Taylor. You remember, uh, we had him on as a guest and, uh, you know, Adam said to me one time, or he might have said this on Twitter, but he said, you know, everybody's going to be saying, oh, we should move on from Grant. We should move on from Grant. And he said, I think by, you know, halfway through the season, it's going to be like, what? Move on from Grant? Who would want to do that? So shout out, Adam. You know, I never, I kind of thought he was going to take a leap last year. And he certainly did not. But this year, it finally looks like, you know, that, that, that jump into elite role players kind of happened. Absolutely. And then uh, another guy here that I think um, we need to talk about this first quarter of the season that we've enjoyed watching is Romeo Langford. 
you know, uh, a guy that we came in the season like, hey, if there's anybody on this team that's really in the hot seat about their roster spot and, like, needs to just show that they have something that they can contribute, it was Romeo Langford. And it was nice to see that he's been able to average almost over 20 uh, minutes a game. He's coming in, you know, his averages don't really blow anything off the page, but he's what I call a floor eater on defense. He takes whoever he's guarding and the ball just avoids his area. It's almost like a four on four, but also wherever he is on, on that side of the court, a lot of times the ball finds its way on the opposite side because like if you get the ball switched on the Romeo, like Romeo makes it very tough on guys. He defends really well with his length and ultimately just, it's just weird. Like defenses just avoid him on defense. It's crazy. Like they understand and respect his ability on that side of the ball. Yeah. You know, his first tangible skill in the NBA was easily on ball defense. It's good to see him actualize that, you know, growing on that end of the floor. And also, you know, he's played pretty well in offense. You know, as long as you can stand there, attack closeouts, make the right pass, and make some threes, um, you know, he'll be able to find the floor with how good his defense is. And, you know, he does – he's can get out of control. He has the propensity to, you know, maybe do a little bit too much, which leads to turnovers. But I haven't seen a ton of that. And, you know, I've liked what I've seen from Romeo, even if, you know, it doesn't show up crazy in a numbers perspective. Uh, you know, if you're watching, you've seen Romeo make a positive impact, you know. Three out of every four times, he's doing something good. Yeah, absolutely, and he's just been a menace, man. I think his shots looked really good and clean and improved. I know maybe the box score players aren't, you know, people aren't definitely not seeing the full story when it comes to Romeo Langford, but Romeo Langford has been a big contributor to this team this year, and I think he's done a lot to improve, and I'm excited to see him stay healthy this season and just work his way. And when this team, I think, is fully healthy, I think he'll be able to exert himself more in that second unit in really take on a bigger role as far as, you know, getting the ball going a little bit more, maybe see a little bit more action off screen slashing and finishing with his length. Cause he's not that bad of a finisher and he's definitely got a good spot up jumper in the corner. Just needs a little bit more, uh, you know, consistency of getting the ball and working on it more often throughout the, rest of the season. And then uh, we, we kind of go into some more things here as uh, we're going to talk about well, Aaron Neesmith and Peyton Pritchard, who, haven't really been getting, you know, as much, you know, hype as we probably have thought. Like, I guarantee you Lucas and I would have been like, yeah, I, we think that uh, Aaron Eastmith and Peyton Pritchard are going to have the bigger role over Romeo and Grant Williams this year going into this season. But it hasn't quite turned out that way for us, huh? No, I definitely, I definitely would have had Romeo at the bottom of that list for as far as who would have been impacting the most, playing the most minutes on the other three, I definitely would have had over him. Um, but, you know, I think what we hypothesized earlier in the season about how their defense, you know, Ime's a defensive guy. You know, this was before the Celtics went on this crazy run of good defense. Okay, we kind of hypothesized that, well, you know, they're pretty good offensive players, so if they're not seeing the floor, it has to be, you know, their defensive weakness. Uh, and I think that's pretty clear with Neesmith. Um He's just not ready defensively. I mean, I don't think he just is not big enough. He, I don't know. I'm not, I'm not particularly sure. Just he's food on. He looks like food on defense to me. Like, you know, guys can score on him pretty easily. You know, he's almost too eager on ball. It's where he'll overcommit, maybe make a mistake. Um, and if he's not making three pointers and isn't really, you know, playing too well on defense, you know, that doesn't really contribute to right now winning basketball. However, 
I do think that, you know, Neesmith does deserve and needs time to, you know, acclimate, get himself, you know, going. But with that being said, you know, okay, yeah, he needs to acclimate, but we also need to win games pretty much right now. We're in 11th place. So I think Ime is just making the decision. He's going with the guys who can go out there right now and are not a liability. And as far as Pritchard is concerned, man, Pritchard doesn't look good on offense either, Patrick. Yeah, I don't know what's going on with him, man. But did he get did he roll his buckets in the summertime when he like dropped he dropped like sixty or seventy points at like some charity game <laughs> or something like that? And it's just like, gosh, man, like Peyton Pritchard broke his nose and it's it's kind of been like downhill for him since then. Like he does not look good like himself. He doesn't look comfortable. But I think also to do with Neesmith and Pritchard is their inability to defend consistently has cut into their playing time. And I think they're players that need consistency to produce. And when you're somebody who needs consistency to produce, but you're not able to be solid on the defensive end, you're not going to always get your consistency playing time because it's, it better, you know, it hurts the team when you're out on the court. So now you got these guys going in sometimes for like 10 minutes, you know, one game, don't play the next game, play three minutes that game, then don't play the next game. Like, you know, they're up and down with their playing time. And I think for guys who are more offensive minded, that affects them more than a, a player that just is known for locking down because you don't really need the consistency and getting in rhythm when you're a defender. Uh, they're both offensive-minded guys first, so I think that's kind of been the downfall for them. I don't think it's necessarily just their fault. I think Ime needs to decide a consistency role. Even if it's a five-minute consistency role, Like I would love to see that because then maybe we could see them understanding, all right, I got five minutes tonight. I'm used to this. This is my kind of like I can get in a rhythm. I know I'm getting these five minutes. I know I'm getting these five minutes. But there's some nights where it's like they don't even play, man. And and I think that that messes with people on the offensive side mentally as well as physically. Yeah, you know, I, I guess I, I would definitely agree that, you know, they do seem like guys who need to know they're going to get playing time in order to have a positive impact. Like, you know, it's not like they're just out there, you know, trying to make the most of their their few minutes it seems like you know they would most benefit from a consistent schedule yeah you know i think 3 minutes in the third or in the in the second and the third quarter i think would be pretty good you know 3 3 4 minutes maybe for Neesmith. get him 8 minutes a game 8 to 10 you know nothing crazy uh see if he can you know spark some offense with the shooting but i just want to say i understand where is coming from because because they just can't hold up, and and Pritchard honestly right now is almost unplayable. I hate, to, I can't believe I'm saying that because of because of how good he was down the road last year, how good he was in training camp, summer league, you know everything preseason. But he, if he's not consistently, you know, either getting people open shots after he penetrates or creating offense with his jump shot or making, you know, some of the layups on his drives. I mean, if he's not doing that, I don't see how you can really play him because he can try all he wants on defense, but there just is a certain limitation to what he can do defensively. Yeah, and I think for Peyton Pritchard, like, I think him getting hit in the nose and stuff, like, doesn't help him either. Like, I think that affected him. Like, starting the year with a mask on your face and just, like, that's just – it's tough, man. He's tough 
ask from and him him and Neesmith aren't getting the playing time that they were getting at the end of last year. So it's just it's hard for those guys to, to show up in those little bit of spurts. And I feel like if I'm in their shoes right and I don't know when I'm playing or if I'm gonna play every game, like every time I get thrown out there, I might be feeling more on eggshells regarding like, man, like I need to make this worth worth going instead of just focusing me like hey i know I'm, I'm getting these minutes i'm here trying to earn more minutes i feel like they're almost in panic of losing minutes or not even be able to play anymore and that's where i'm like i just feel like there's there's a way that i i don't necessarily hate the way Ime is doing it and i understand his philosophy but also i think there's room for him to to show some consistency with those guys and i think it could be beneficial that's all that's where my stance is yeah no and i don't disagree with that um but i am going to bring this I'm going to quote somebody who's actually in the football team from New England, uh, new signing, Jonu Smith. Basically, I read a quote from him over the week said, you know, somebody asked him, oh, you've had kind of a smaller role than you anticipated. How do you feel about that? He said, I don't worry about the role, the role itself. I embrace the role and see how well I can do in that role. Um, so I think, you know, that's something that Pritchard and Neesmith are going to have to come to terms with. If their role is six, seven minutes a game, you know, shooting a three-pointer the first two times you touch the ball maybe is not the move. Maybe, you know, you need to try and force a turnover, get out in transition, make make a good pass, get a stop, as opposed to, you know, doing what you've normally been used to doing on the basketball court. But, you know, like I said, I just think it boils down to them playing right now does not equal win-now basketball. That equals, you know, potential growth down the road basketball. And, you know, you can't really – worry about down the road in 11th place, even if we are, you know, even if the East is jumbled. I just think, you know, I don't blame Ime for going with, uh, you know, guys like Jay Rich, Smart, Dennis over them. And then also I will say, you know, Patrick, how we talked about how, you know, this might have been Romeo's last chance. Well, next year is legitimately these guys' last chances with the Celtics because it's their fifth-year option. I mean, yeah, that, or their player option. No, fifth year option is not. Yeah. It's not the fifth year, but it's their. It's their the final year of their player option on their rookie contract. Um, so you know, next year, you know, I don't want to get start talking about next year and everything, but yeah, man, I like, mean, that's 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 what they got to look forward to. It's like, yeah, this year is important for a lot of guys, and I think them stepping up and embracing whatever role that they can, you know, carve out of this offense or team is is important on their future as far as where they're going to be on this team. And uh, and I think Grant, you know, is a perfect example. And I think everybody should understand that, you know, when the time when players get better is in the off season. Like, there's just simply not enough time. You can't waste all the energy it requires in order to improve certain, like, your skills, really, during the season. That is a very rarely a thing that happens. Players, obviously, in the off season have much more time to commit to improving a specific skill or a specific set of skills. Um, so, you know, I think Grant proved to us that he, he improved those set of skills in the offseason. Look, he came back. He has a defined, clear role. Uh, Romeo, you know, he improved. And I think even this offseason, Romeo can take another leap as far as what he can do with the ball in his hands. Um, but, you know, lastly, I just want to say in this conversation, I want to gauge your thoughts, Patrick, because I know where I stand. Are you ready to, like, cut the chain on Neesmith if it means we trade for a player who you know is good right now? You know can step into 20, 25 minutes a night in a 3 and D sort of role? Because if that player's out there, I'm pulling the trigger. 
on a losing on, oh, a, on a younger man. team maybe who doesn't need a certain veteran Kings. King. Yeah, it would, but uh, you know, it would hurt my soul, man. I'm sorry. I'm just, yeah, I just want it would. It would hurt my soul, but I, I would have to be on board with it. Like, yeah, that's something. If that it becomes available, I can understand making the move. But also, like, I think being patient with Aaron e. Smith is also beneficiary because I think even if you wanted to trade him, I think his value is worth more if you hold them than if you sold them now. I feel like selling them now in a trade is selling them for less than what he's actually worth. And I think Neesmith is going to be a player that can be that guy that we're trying to trade for who is now. Like we're trading for the guy that Aaron Neesmith can be. And I'm not saying that he gets there um, this year or anything like that, but I, th- I could totally see him getting there next year. I mean, we just saw these last three games, man. Uh, in one of those games, he, he showed a little glimpse where he drove baseline and he hit that jumper. It was the same shot that he displayed in the summer. I was like, the that's the Aaron Neesmith that we saw. Like, the glimpses are there. The yeah. glimpses are there. So it's like, my thing is like, that was his first legit off season. And he didn't play a lot in college. Like he literally has so less like experience. I think that if he goes into this offseason healthy, like he could be a guy who makes a big jump. Like I'm talking like, you know, this season he's only chipping out maybe four or five minutes a game at times. I think he's a guy who can cut into 15, 20 minute role like Romeo did. Like th- I think that could be his jump if we're patient with him, but I do understand if the Celtics feel pressured and want to go and get a shooter who can defend now, because I mean, they don't want to wait on him. Yeah, no, I think you made, definitely made some good points. I mean, it's definitely hard to uh, you know decide right now whether or not you'd want to trade him. Uh, I do agree. You know, this probably be close to the trade deadline. You know, having Neesmith, you know, played some, you know, increasing his value a little bit. But I also think that there's enough potential uh, that other teams can see in Neesmith to where he still does hold value because of everything you pretty much just said. I mean, the Celtics just need to decide whether or not they think they can, uh, you know, actualize that potential, which is like the hardest thing to do in sports, um, you know, or – you know, trade for somebody established right now and maybe give up, you know, some draft capital down the road. But, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we come to it. Um, I do want to say, you know, in the uh, in the chat, we did mention that, uh, you know, that there's a little bit of talk about Tatum. Uh, you know, he definitely struggled, um, you know, shooting the ball the last few games. Um, two for 16 against the Raptors. But it was a win. And he also had 10 assists. I want to say uh, Tatum's passing has just been really good. Um, and that's honestly really promising to see from an offensive perspective, uh, seeing Smart and also Tatum, you know, just appear to keep growing in that passing role. And also Jalen a little bit. I know you saw Jalen's behind-the-back pass the other night. Uh, for Yeah, man, Jalen, Jalen's been so fun to watch this year. He's just like – he is – his game is just like wild. Like, you know, it's smooth, but it's also like crazy and – He's just got a flair to him. Like he's definitely like if if you had fire and ice, like Jalen's fire. Jalen has to be fire. And 
and it's not because Jason's been shooting poorly, but Jalen's ice. It's not because he's been shooting like ice, but um, I just think he's just, that like he's just, cool. he's just a calmer person, cool yeah. person. And I think Jalen is more of that spark, that that fire. And when he kind of goes on a run, like it is loud, right? Like when when you have Jason Tatum go on like an eight zero run. You're like, all right, he's he's getting going. But when you have like Jalen Brown get on a run, he's like, everybody's like, oh snap! Like Jalen is going off. Like it's just a different feel when each one of them go on their own personal runs. I think Jalen Brown has just been that guy this year that's just kind of up the energy, gets the crowd going, and and kind of just amplifies the Celtics as a whole. Yeah, no, Tatum is definitely ice. You know, Tatum though, when he goes on his little runs, it's like crazy because. I'm like, dang, was that 12 points in a row? Like that happened like it was the quietest 12 points in a row I've ever seen in my entire life. <laughs> and then Jalen will have two dunks. I'm like, was that 40 points in a row or what? But do those count as 20 points each? Like, no, I, I feel exactly what you're saying. Or like, have you have you noticed too? Like when like Jalen has like a 30 point game, it's like, damn, we know Jalen had a 30 point game. But like when Jason Tatum has it's a 30 point game, we're like, oh, dude, he finished with 30. Like it's oh, just, yeah, right. it's just kind of like. I don't know, like, Jalen just makes you watch. Like, he forces you to, to notice, and it's it's just wild to oh, see. And, and Tatum's struggles, shooting struggles have continued. Um, I'm going to give him time to figure it out, though. You know, I'm not really uh, – I'm not absolutely, you know, oh, worried he's never going to get back to his shooting splits. But honestly, his shooting splits are pretty similar to Luca's right now. Um, and, you know, I don't see people acting like Luca – is all of a sudden, you know, just has been absolutely zapped of his powers. Um, but honestly, you know, Patrick, I don't mean to really put you on the spot, but if you had to guess his shooting splits this year, Tatum. Jason or just Tatum's? His, or just his counting stats per game, including his shooting splits. Oh, I, I, you, you know them all. So I already know where he's at. Per, okay. I know I know where he's at points per game. I think he's at like 24.4. Yep, so I'm right there. Um, the only reason I know that is because he's the 10th in the league which I also wanted to bring up because people are freaking out about him being on offense is he's been so bad on offense yet. He's 10th in scoring per game. It's wild. Oh, and he's and done it inefficiently granted, but he, yeah, he has done it inefficiently but, and he's averaged a lot of attempts. And he's at like what? 22 attempts a game. Yeah. He's up. He's up one attempt from last year. Okay. From 20.6 to 21.8. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but no, I mean, he's shooting uh, 39.5, so 40% and about 32% from three, which obviously are not good. But I just, those numbers are going to jump. They're going to regress back to the mean. You know, now maybe Tatum will end up shooting 40% from three like he has. Maybe it's more 35, 36. And, you know, maybe he doesn't get up to 45 like he usually does. Maybe it's more 42 and a half, 43. But listen, I'm a big believer in regression, and I believe this will be a positive regression. And, you know, he'll be a little closer to his career averages. Even if he doesn't jump all the way back up to those averages, I definitely believe we're going to see his shooting, you know, even out a little bit. And that's probably going to be with some hot games coming up to even out those. Also, what if I told you that uh, he was averaging four points per game less than the guy that everybody thinks is the unanimous MVP so far, Steph Curry? That's... That's it. Four points less a game is what Jason Tatum has been averaging um, less than Steph Curry. And Steph Curry's been on a tear, man. So um, I'm not really worried about Jason Tatum. And I talked to you about um, this before we started the pod today, and I want to go into how I think that 
Jason Tatum's poor offensive shooting has benefited him through these first quarter of the season. And the reason I say this was because I'm thinking as it, he's understanding that like, if I'm shooting poorly, I need to find other ways to affect the game. And I think it's added that playmaking emphasis. And he's understanding that he really needs to work on that field. He's acknowledged it now. And like, he's, you can see it in his game. Like he's showing the ability now to pass the ball and showing the ability to affect the game by playing really, he's played really good individual defense, man-to-man defense. He's always been a great help defender, but this year he's really amplified his man-to-man defense and people haven't really even given him the credit he deserves on that end. He's a lengthy defender, man. He's overall just been better in all aspects of his game. And he just regressed in shooting. And that's something people have just not understood. Mm-hmm. No, listen. I, I mean, it has. I just want to say, I'm going to go get on a soapbox here real quick. So, there was a piece, you know, I'm not going to say who it's by, but there was a piece talking about how I read from the Boston Sports Media talking about how Tatum is a player who only plays for himself. He's not a team player. Listen, just because a guy likes to get his shots, I do not agree with that statement at all. If you've watched Tatum since he's been a rookie, he's contributed to winning basketball. Like you said, Patrick. He's been a great help defender. That's not something that, like, that's a skill. Like, you have to care about team basketball in order to impact, you know, team defense uh, in a positive manner. Okay, like you said, he's playing good on-ball defense now. That's not something you do if you're only all about you. That's easy to take defensive possessions off. That's not something Tatum is doing a lot. Um, he's, you know, he's averaging 8.5 potential assists a game um, and 3.7 real assists a game. So, you know... I think we'll see that number probably jump up to four and a half, maybe. Hopefully get close to five. Uh, he's averaging eight and a half rebounds. That's a career high. I think Tatum is committed to playing good team basketball and being the best player on a team. And listen, I agree with you. I think his shooting slump has made him, you know, put emphasis on other areas of his game, which he needed to improve. And I just want to say, Boston media, stop being so negative about Jason and Jalen. Do you want them to play for Boston for 20 years? I know I sure do. All right. So I just feel like people have the, you know, when things get bad, you know, sometimes in Boston sports, uh, you know, the sports media has, you know, a quickness in which they try to tear players down with. Um, I just want to put my, plant my flag on the, uh, on the, you know, area of believing Tatum is a great team basketball player and he's not just, you know, for himself. I think that's a great use of the vent box there, a hundred percent. And then I'm going to, I'm going to slam some things into the vent box here. And before I go into hard for a second, I just want to emphasize that Lucas and I are both on the same page when it comes to officiating. We don't like using it as a a reason for losses at all. We don't like to blame it. We kind of try to avoid it altogether. When the vent box. I'm just going to jump in here. I'm just going to jump in. The refs hate Tatum. Bro, the refs hate him. That's exactly where my vent box right, take is going. It. Is like the NBA needs to do something about how bad they officiate Jason Tatum. It is remarkably bad. The other day, he posted on his uh, Snapchat uh, story of what do you think the result was here, and it was a picture of him getting slapped in the face. I think it was in that Spurs game, if I'm not mistaken. 
But just just an overall, just like that wasn't called a foul, let alone what should have been a flagrant one. He had got hit a few times before that down the line. And that has to do with something with how poorly he's been shooting. Like, yeah, he's not shooting very well this season because maybe four of his shots he's getting hacked and you're just calling not calling it. Like that's that's eight extra trips. He has been slowly getting more calls, but like it seems like they give him calls one game and then just ignore him and let him get destroyed for three games straight. And it's just been like the most frustrating thing I've ever seen in my life because Jason Tatum definitely gets fouled more times than not when it's not called and he goes to the rim. It is it is baffles me. Like I am not a fan of blaming the refs, but I am pretty irritated to this point with how poorly officiating they do around Jason Tatum. Uh, I mean, yeah, and and you know, some people are gonna say, "Oh, his attitude." Okay, a lot of players have attitude, and uh, while I do think Tatum can maybe take a different attitude towards the referees, you know, the referees are supposed to referee the game objectively on whether or not it's a foul. You know, Tatum's attitude shouldn't really be playing into whether or not they think something is a foul. So I don't really like that argument. Um, but no, the one he posted on his Snapchat story, he got cracked in the head, hit in the face. And the refs just didn't do anything about it. Um, you know, I wonder if the Celtics sent a memo or something or, or somebody reached out to the league office because it is getting egregious. Um, and, you know, like you said, Patrick, I really don't like even talking about the refs on our show um, because, you know, it just feels like, you know, everybody gets screwed by the refs. But, I mean, I'm seeing rookies. Dude, I feel like Gershon Yabuselli got a better ref than uh, than Tatum did, and that just seems absolutely wild. Uh, so, you know, as much as I don't like talking about them, I will say Tatum's getting a bad shake. And I can understand why he's frustrated with them. Like, the, he wouldn't have an attitude, I feel like, if their refs weren't always, you know, doing him so. No, absolutely. And, you know, I, when it comes to the vent box, man, nobody's safe. So the refs end up getting it for that specific reason. Um, I had to let them know how I felt because, man, it's been frustrating watching Jason Tatum. But, uh, on other news, you know, we we definitely wanted you guys to head over to manscaped.com. Go ahead and get your um, tweezers, all that gear going. You know, you got to get right for the Christmas holiday coming up. Go ahead and get your lawnmower so you can go ahead and type in hoopball20 is still the promo code to get that offer. I checked with the boss, man. Um, it's still hoopball20 for now. If it does change, we will let you know. But go ahead and head over to manscaped.com and Type in that hoop ball twenty to get twenty percent off all products. Yeah, man, absolutely. You can uh can show up to Christmas, you know, looking all scruff and stuff. Don't want the relatives on you like that. Um, don't want grandma, grandpa, mom's uncle on whoever it is. So you know, make sure you stay clean and trim for the holiday season. Trimmed everywhere, right, Lucas? <laughs> yes. Make sure you're clean no matter the place. <laughs> Um, uh, <laughs> but moving on, moving on from that, um, we'll move on to uh, Wednesday night, where the Celtics have their game. Is this the first game? I believe this is the uh... first game of the, the the dreadful December, is what I'm calling. Oh, well, it. I was gonna say first. Listen, is my mind is my memory escaping me, or is this the first time we're playing the 76ers this year? Um, I th- I think this is the first time because listen, you know how much I like we like playing the 76ers over the years. Let me check. Yeah, we haven't played them yet, so this will be the first in the season series. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, as we know, you know, no Ben Simmons, 
um, you know, which is kind of a bummer for the Celtics' chances to win. Um, but, you know, it's good to have Al Horford back in this MB battle now. However, I would not assume it's going to go like it did, you know, the years ago in the playoffs. Embiid is a different player. Horford has more miles on his body. So don't go around talking all this crap on Twitter about, oh, Embiid's, oh, Horford's son. No, I don't think it's going to be like it was before. But at least we have somebody. At least it's not Daniel Tice. Shout out my guy, Daniel Tice. But, oh, I was sick of seeing Tice get abused by uh, Embiid. I I couldn't have watched that one more year. I I seriously couldn't have. Robert Williams has gotten his fair share of abuse from uh, Joel Embiid. The thing is, too, with guys like Joel Embiid is is sometimes you just got to understand, like, he's he's abusing his matchup 90, 95% of the time anyways. Like, that's just – it is how it is. When you're elite and you're a big man like Joel Embiid, he makes it brutal, man. It's it's a tough, tough matchup for any type of player. Robert Williams has had trouble before. Even Daniel Tice has had trouble. Like it doesn't matter really who you put out there. It's Joel Embiid when he wants to score. A lot of times, there's not many people who can slow him down. Yeah, of course not. He's one of the most dominant big men in the league. Um, he's right up there with you know Jokic, guys like that. Um, as far as you know, what they can do offensively. Jokic maybe is on a different level, but, you know, they're, they're both, you know, top of the top of the line guys at the big man spot. But post-Sixers game, okay, you know, we really need to, to get the win at home against the Sixers because after that, you know, we have a, a five of six games are going to be really, really tough. I mean, all six are going to be tough, but five out of the six especially. Uh, so after the Sixers, we have the Jazz, the Blazers, the Lakers, the Clippers, and then the Suns on a road trip. Um, obviously, the Suns are, you know, the hottest team in basketball pretty much right now. 16 straight wins. Uh, and they still don't have the best record, which is It's unbelievable. And then, you know, hey, they're not too far away, too, because two games after we play the Suns, uh, we actually play the Warriors. So uh, yep. it's not like it's going to get any easier. Um, but th- those five games right there, I'll say the Celtics, I really expect the Celtics to win the, the, the Blazers game. Um, you know, I expect a good game from Tatum um, in the Staples Center against the Clippers. Um, you know, the Lakers, we'll see. They're probably going to be out for revenge after how last game went. But, you know, the Lakers, the Suns, the Jazz, and the Clippers, those four games on that road trip are, are going to be tough to win. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, it's crazy that, like, when we did our little show where we were like, yeah, picking up the games and stuff. I don't even think we even connected how harsh <laughs> the December schedule was. Right. Like, we definitely didn't take that in consideration. But also to the fact that, like, I think during the stretch, uh, I, I mentioned earlier in the show, they do have the fifth hardest schedule the rest of the way. Like, mm-hmm. rest of the season, we have the fifth hardest. Top five. Like, it, it's about to be rough. Like, so. And that's. I think there's going to be an opportunity for them hopefully to be 100% healthy during this stretch. And this is the moment where I think you learn a lot about your team. Like, we're going to figure out what the Celtics really are capable of this season after December. Like, that is – we've already gotten past the 20-game sample size, so we're there. We see the potential now. We've seen the defense improve. We've seen the offense get the good looks now. Now we're about to play the good competition after getting – that quarter part in, that rough start out, and now this is the team. This is the team that we're going to end up judging on at, at the end of December, and we're going to have a better understanding of what we're capable of this season and what we need to do in the future. 
Yeah, so like you said, you know, 20 games can kind of, we can start to, you know, identify some trends, you know, maybe not rule things that's completely concrete, but definitely, you know, pick up on things that have been, you know, going on. The foundation's there exactly, to look at. throughout that's the season. But after December, you know what, I mean, teams can change after the all-star break. I understand that. But, you know, after December, you, you know, it's pretty, like I said, players individually improve in the offseason. It's not like, you know, a lot of the times, you know, teams take these crazy drastic changes after, you know, Christmas really is when I would say. Uh, but, no, this December schedule is tough. So after the five-game road trip, like I said, we have the Warriors, but we actually have the Bucks and then the Warriors. So those are seven games right there that are tough. And then we rematch the Knicks, you know, uh, rematch a game of the year. Huh? I think the Celtics are going to come out big time in that one. That one's at home. I can't wait for that. And then, you know, we play the Bucks. Play the Bucks twice in December, the Suns twice in December, the Sixers twice, the Clippers twice. Um, so, you know, it's definitely going to be tough. I mean, like you said, we're really going to know a lot about this team. I mean, honestly, this road trip is going to tell us a lot even. Like, if we go one and four on this road trip, it's going to be real, real hard to see the Celtics bouncing back, you know, the rest of December. But, you know, I don't think we will go one and four. I think, you know, we can go a good two and three, three and two, hopefully. Um, you know, uh, I hope we take the Clippers game and the Blazers game. Those are probably the easiest ones, but you know, we'll see. I, I'm honestly, uh, you know, really encouraged to see how we play up against better competition. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a testimony. Let's let's see how good this defense can really be against quality um, teams. I'm not saying that they haven't played against quality teams. Uh, it's not like a disrespect to any teams that they played, but we understand that this stretch here it has a lot of teams that are are looking to be in title contention this season. So, and they're going to get a crack at them more than once at some of those teams. So the Celtics are, are in, got their hands full over this next month of December. I'm hoping that we don't have a, a really bad Christmas time where we're, we're oh. podcasting and we're just like, Oh man, it's rough out here. This is breaking news. Kind of, um, unless LeBron James can produce two negative tests in the next 24 hours, he will be out 10 days. And we play the Lakers in a week. So, uh, well, actually, it looks like he says uh, health and safety protocols expected to miss ten at least ten days. He's expected to miss. 10 so, days. so unless he gets those two negative tests in the next twenty four hours, there will be no LeBron against the Lakers. So that actually, I also think that means he's not vaccinated, right? Because if it's ten days, I think so. At least, if it's in at least ten days, I think that means that. He wasn't vaccinated. Yeah, I'm honestly, I don't, I just don't want to speak out. I'm not completely sure about the NBA's protocol. I know in the NFL, it's much, you have to sit out a much longer time. So I would I assume that it's the I same remember way. that whole party situation during the playoffs last year and how he, they like, oh, he must have been vaccinated. That's why he didn't have to like return a test. It was like, blah, blah, blah. Uh, yeah, we'll see. And he didn't get in trouble, but I don't know now. So we know LeBron operates under different rules, but, uh, you know, yeah, so he won't be there. So that actually makes the, uh, actually takes some of the weight off the road trip. I mean, obviously the Celtics could still potentially lose that game to the Lakers. Um, but I also obviously think they have a better chance to win with no LeBron. So, uh, that lightens the load a little bit, but I, in the grand scheme of things, December is not going to be an easy month. I'm really excited to see the Suns and the Warriors, um, games against the Celtics. They actually play tonight. At 10 Eastern, I will most definitely be tuning into that one. You know, kind of scout the, uh, you know, the Lake, the Suns and the Warriors a little bit ahead of the games. Um, 
But yeah, no, I'm excited, like you said, to see this team play some of the top, the, the highest competition. And the Bucks. I mean, listen, the Bucks aren't up there with record-wise, but they're one seven in a row. They're the defending champions. They have the MVP. That's never going to be easy to beat them. And also they have Chris Middleton, who we all know loves to play against them. Absolutely, man. And and that's going to kind of wrap it up for us here today on Ethos Celtics Podcast. Make sure that you guys do head over to Apple Podcasts. Make sure you guys leave a five-star rating and review. That is very important to us. We do appreciate all the love and support. Everybody who shows up to the, to the live shows as we're doing it here on Spotify Greenroom. We have a bunch of people in the audience that come and, and stop by. They chat up in, the, in our chat here. They say things to us. We love the support. We appreciate it. You are very, very thanked from us. We we really cannot say enough about your guys' support. And then also go ahead and check us out on Spotify. Um, Ethos Celtics is is the handle now because we did change from hoop ball. And uh, yeah, man, you can follow Lucas on Twitter at Luca underscore Gainer. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ball and Opinions. Lucas, any last words before we let everybody out? Nope. I mean, uh, we'll be here again um, tomorrow night post Sixers game. You know, I don't. We shouldn't miss any more post game pods. Um, you know, I was dealing with some stuff. You know, I had my schedule. It was family vacation, man. We were on Thanksgiving vacation, mm-hmm. so there's no worries. Alrighty, so we'll be here. Well be here tomorrow. That's all I got, Patrick. This is a pleasure as always. Shout out everybody who comes Lucas. through in the audience. Let's get it. You know, we appreciate y'all. Later, everybody. Thank you.